Um, if you have your Bible, will you turn... Well, if you have one finger in Matthew 1, and if you have the other finger in Luke 1 and 2, uh, I want to look at the birth narratives, um, and I'll, I'll need to skip... I'm going to read from Matthew 1.18 to 25, for starters, but I, if you'd like to keep your finger in Luke, it will help you when I jump from one to the other. Luke 1, 8, Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what, was, what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Lord, we pray this morning that you'll help us to see clearly and freshly in the familiar that our, our understanding of all that you want to do will not be merely superficial and sentimental. Help us. Lord, break through in our understanding in a measure this morning that we might see things by revelation and not just by tradition. In Jesus' name. Amen. It's um, obvious this morning that we consider the Incarnation. The, the time in history when the Son of God, by a miraculous conception in the body of a, of a young girl, a virgin, whereby, as John put it, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul, writing to the Galatians in, in, in chapter 4, talks about the coming of the Lord Jesus being, um, when the time had fully come, God sent his Son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full right of sons. That God, from eternity past, took an initiative and the Son of God had always existed, but at this point and place in history, he, he took flesh upon himself. As the hymn writer put it, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And that's Christmas. That's why there's a gospel at all, because Jesus came and became a man. Christmas, you, say, you might say, is all about Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of our attention, traditionally, is focused upon that aspect, his birthday. And we're familiar with all the elements of the shepherds and the wise men, or whatever they were. And, uh, and the stable, and the star, and the angels, and the scene, we are reminded each year, and it, it fixes in our minds, we say, yes, yes, got that, been there, got that, and we understand 
the kind of background to what Christmas is. But I, I wonder whether that's, if I would put it, all true, but too narrow a, fo a focus, too, too restricted a frame of our, our understanding. We could almost get the impression that after Jesus had come, as in that, in that way, that heaven was kind of empty. Do you know what it's like when, when relatives have gone? You know, there's more space. And, uh, you know, heaven was rather passive in it all. Well, we've been looking for a number of months, and this is the last time in the series, <clears throat> at the whole question of God being with us. And we read in the verses there in Matthew 1, uh, how this child would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, that's all about incarnation. But I would suggest to you that it's actually more than that in terms of Emmanuel, God being with us. There, there was a sense, you see, <coughs> if you like, in which the Father too was wonderfully active at the first Christmas. That, uh, that, that when, when the, for instance, if you, if you know, turn over to where your finger is in Luke chapter 1, the, this incident, or Luke chapter 2, this incident with the, with the, with the, the, the angels and the shepherds. Uh, and the message that the angels brought was a message from the Father, if you like, as much as from the Son. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. So, the, the God, the Father, is communicating something at Christmas. So if you turn over into these amazing prophecies that, <coughs> that we have, that, uh, for instance, in, no, sorry, it's in chapter 1, turn back a bit, uh, Mary's song, verse 46 of chapter 1 in Luke. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And she goes on. And what she's saying about it is the whole, the Father's great purpose in what we might call the Christmas season. The, the, the same thing goes on when, in Zechariah's song, continuing in the same chapter 1. Uh, verse 67, again he talks, verse 68, he starts to prophesy. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he has said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember. And so he goes on. And he's actually talking about the father's heart. And we, we, I could stay with you all morning. Actually seeing what it was that the father did at Christmas. We, we focus almost exclusively on the son. But actually, the Father's heart and purpose and his works and his salvation was wonderfully prominent at Christmas. Do you agree? He wasn't just passively sitting back in heaven missing his son. Because the union was still there, actually, if you want to go into the theology of it. But uh, it isn't, it isn't, I'm trying to make a point here that Christmas isn't just about a baby in a manger that the whole saving purposes of God were profound. The Father was actively involved in the Incarnation. But I, I want this morning to look at the work of the Spirit of God at Christmas. And I want us to see how prominent 
the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is, at Christmas, and I would say, if Christmas is to be Christmas, it has to be that way every year. You see, there were very many promises. It's an excellent study. If you want a Bible study, it's time well spent. Look at the Old Testament promises of the Spirit of God coming in a new way. Some of them Jesus took upon himself personally. Some of them talked about rivers, talked about streams, talked about new hearts and new spirits in Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And that the, the Old Testament prophets raised, what do you call it, raised the expectation, actually talked about this wonderful, wonderful occurrence that was going to happen in the future. And then, as is often the case with God, there was this long gap, hundreds of years, with the prophecies hanging there. I don't know if you've ever had anything like that. Um, God sometimes doesn't work as quickly as I think he should. Right? Have you ever had something spoken into your life which said, oh, yes! And said, right, Lord, do it! And nothing happens. I'm sure that some of the Old Testament prophets on their deathbed were scratching what hair was left and saying, whatever happened to that prophecy? Because it went on and on for centuries before the Spirit of God suddenly started working so widely. There's a proliferation of his activity. Suddenly, after a long silence, he's working, it would seem, everywhere. And uh, the most important, the most prominent thing that he did, and we've read it already in Matthew chapter 1, 18 and 20, was that the Holy Spirit came to a virgin. She was betrothed to be married. That meant that the families had made an agreement that there would be a wedding. But she wasn't formally married, so that the, the, the two hadn't become socially or physically or emotionally. They, they were still apart. It was just an arrangement between the families. And the Holy Spirit came to this girl. The Holy Spirit came. And if you look in Luke and chapter 1, verse 35, much more detail is given as to exactly what happened. Sorry, I've lost my finger in my page. There we are. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35 says this, The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. That sounds good, doesn't it? And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I shouldn't think she had a clue what he meant. Can you imagine what went on between Mary's ears when she heard that? Anyway, he went on. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's amazing, really. A mysterious genetic. Something happened in that girl. Pete Hodge rang me up and he'd been reading a book and getting all excited. Did you know that when Adam was born, made, there was no man and no woman about? When Eve was made, there was only a man. When you were made, there was a man and a woman. But only one man was ever came to life where there was a woman but no man involved. True, actually. Something amazing happened in the ovaries of a young girl. That Jesus was fully human. He took his humanity from the over in, in, the, in, in the body of a young girl. And the Holy Spirit miraculously caused that girl to conceive in her body. 
physically, really. And you think that is, that is amazing. That God, who made matter in the first place, miraculously imparted the life of the Son of God into a young girl, a virgin. Uh, that blows your mind. Nod. Please say, wow. You see, we can get all mystical about this. Say, oh, well, he kind of came in, you know, like in a shining chariot and boom, arrived. No, that actually, part of this girl in her ovaries became the flesh of the Son of God. Now, that's amazing. But I, nine months, the Son of God was what they call today a what? A fetus. We'll call it a baby before birth, shall we? Would that be all right? For nine months. Now, if you read Hebrews 1 and 3, it says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact... Remember, just think, think here. I know I'm, I'm the wrong shape and everything, but think here. Right? The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. From where? If he upholds the universe by the word of his authority, if it's, the, if it's actually Jesus who sustains and orders and controls this word we live in, for nine months, where was his operation centre? Isn't that amazing? Now, isn't that amazing that the Son of God ruled the universe from inside the womb of a young girl, a virgin? Isn't that stunning? Forgive me the parallel with a cheap advert, but only the Holy Spirit can do that. And it was so important that he did that. The Bishop of Durham was terribly wrong when he belittled the virgin birth. If Jesus hadn't been born the son of a virgin, sin in her bloodstream would have got into Jesus' bloodstream. He was born, the, the one that will be born, the holy one to be born in you will be the son of God. The incarnation was necessary so that the one who was born would be without sin. Now there's a great theological hoo-ha about this through the centuries. Was he non posse picari, or was it posse non picari? I don't know which you think, John. Well, you're a theological student. Now, which is it to be? You're all looking at me. Only David Harlow understands. It, it's whether Jesus, was it whether it was that it was not possible for him to sin, or whether it was possible for him not to sin. I believe the latter, or else he wasn't properly human. Jesus didn't walk two feet above the ground as a kind of phantom. Jesus walked a holy life. It was possible for him not to sin, but he chose, it was possible for him to sin, but he chose not to sin. And it was because of the work of the Spirit of God, bringing that incarnation to being, that made it possible. You see, it's not possible for you not to sin by your nature. You're an absolute genius at it. You do it without trying. So do I. 
It's only the grace of God. It's only the Spirit of God in me that can change me. Even my wife can't change me. Now the point of all of this, what is wonderful at Christmas, is that this is so typical of the Spirit of God. He is the one who who implements and brings into being God's creative work. He was there at creation, Genesis 1. The Spirit of God was moving over the face of the deep. He's been creating ever since. On the Alpha course, there's that reference made, I didn't do it, you must have, that there's, that, that there's reference made of Bezalel, the, the, the designer in the temple, how the Spirit of God came on him. He was anointed by the Spirit and given creative ability as a result. We often belittle that. And I would never, ever have believed if the Spirit of God had not started to work in here. Did you know that? That we did not choose him, but he chose us. It was God working in here that enabled you and I to believe in the first place. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. But, it is, but, but so is everyone born of the Spirit. It, it, the Holy Spirit, what he did in Jesus, he, he's done in me to, in, in a much lesser degree. He's actually, there's a sense in which Jesus' incarnation was the Son of God in flesh. The Holy Spirit coming into you is also that God is still incarnate in, in a different way, but in a wonderful way. He's still at the cutting edge, at the front edge of God's saving, redeeming work. And he's doing all of that in us. Changing us. Making us useful. The Spirit of God, who is who was a, so wonderfully active in the Incarnation, is still in us. Still working. Still working out God's saving purposes. Say Amen. Okay. You can be half-hearted if you want. That was the first thing that the Spirit of God did. This wonderful Incarnation in the life of the Virgin. The second place where he turns up is in this area of inspiration. And uh, there there had been announcements for centuries about the Saviour coming. And uh, the Holy Spirit is given quite prominent reference here um, in terms of what what, in Acts chapter 1, for instance, where the, the, one of the Psalms of David is quoted, it says this, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. Mark 12, 36. David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put my en- your enemies under your feet. Peter, writing about the nature of prophecy in scripture, said this, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now the point is this, that for centuries, the Spirit of God had been speaking and saying about telling, taking the lid off, opening people's eyes, giving clues, dropping insight, setting the scene. The Spirit of God had been preparing the way by telling people what was going to happen for centuries on centuries. And when, when the time of incarnation came, he did not stop. Now, turn with me, just back into Luke. 
And uh, Luke chapter 1, this business with, with, with Elizabeth. Now, whether she was Mary's cousin, or it just says a relative, it, c- it could be interpreted variously, but let's take the traditional view and say that Elizabeth was Mary's cousin. Luke 1, 41. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. There he is again. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, I don't know if you prophesy over your relatives. I don't know what happened. If, you, if, if your cousin came to visit and walked in the door carrying her suitcases or whatever she was carrying, and as soon as she walked in the door, you started prophesying at her. Well, it would be new, it would be different, wouldn't it? But this is what happened. Filled with the Holy Spirit in a loud voice. So she started shouting at her cousin. Amazing. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord... What insight prophecy gives. How astonishing that Elizabeth should come out with such profound statements as she's walking through the door, across the doorstep. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt, baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, what an amazing proclamation. Talk about the Holy Spirit setting the scene on what was going to happen. Isn't that extraordinary? Isn't that typical of the Holy Spirit? That when God is going to do something of his saving purpose, he lets us know in advance. Say more about that in a minute. But there there are others. Carry on in, in, in Luke's Gospel. Where am I going to? Oh yes, the, 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 the incident with Simeon, Luke chapter 2, 25. Jesus is being presented at the temple. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Again, you see, that a season where the Spirit of God is working remarkably on a whole number of people. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him as the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised. And so he goes on. the, The Spirit of God is just telling us what's going on. He's inspiring all along the way. I, I suppose the most telling, and if, if you're a father, those of us among us that are, fa- that are parents, um, this business with John the Baptist is probably the most remarkable. Chapter 1, verse 67. It says in verse 67, then, then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, this hasn't been true for centuries. And then one after another, the Spirit of God comes upon in, in quite profound ways. And it has to be said, not every season. I would be suspicious if people were claiming that there's a kind of continuous moving, that the Spirit of God is operating at the same level at the same time. That's not true. The, the wind blows where it listeth, as the authorised puts it. That, uh, that, that there are seasons in which the Holy Spirit seems to work. Why he does it that way, I don't know. But there's a lot of history and a lot of scripture to support the fact that he did. But this is one of the occasions where he's moving so powerfully. And Zechariah, filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the God of Israel. And the first part of it 
as I said earlier, is talking about the Father's heart who is saving purposes and all that he, he's done through Abraham and is continuing to do. And then, then Zechariah has, has his boy in his arms. Now picture it. That holds his child and the Spirit of God is on him. And he starts to prophesy over his own son. Now, isn't that awesome? But wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be wonderful if you holding your child in your arm, that the Spirit of God had come upon you like this, and you, my child. Powerful, isn't it? Imagine it in your domestic situation. We'll be called a prophet of the Most High. For you, speaking to the baby in his arm, will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation, through the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And Zechariah is giving personal prophecy over his boy. I wonder what effect that had on him over the years ahead. I wonder if there were times in the way that he brought John up I wonder if he objected to him wearing his funny hair and his, and his leather belt. I, I wonder if there was ever a point when Zachariah, oh son, don't do that, wear a three-piece suit, you know, to kind of look nicer. I shouldn't think he ever did. You see, the prophecy would have fashioned his own mind and expectation and his upbringing of the boy. And personal prophecy is important for that, isn't it? We, I've looked many times and pointed you to 1 Timothy 1.18. That, that, that where Paul talks to Timothy and talks about the, the prophecies that were spoken over you with which you will fight the fight of faith. And the, the words that God has spoken to you, you might think, oh, well, it was five years ago, it wasn't true, it's not happened. Well, hang on a minute. That it's, it's withholding on to those that we follow the purposes of God for our lives. And so it was for John the Baptist. Directional, encouraging, confirming words. And the truth that comes out of this aspect of Christmas is this, that the Holy Spirit, if I can put it this way, is always planning, always preparing, always revealing his purposes. There's a cracking verse in, in Amos, chapter 3 and verse 7, where it says, the, Surely the Sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servant, the prophet. And, and God always prepares his way. He always drops hints. He always gives insight. And it's so important for us individually that we accept that. Lord, you know, and speak into my life. Do you really want to live the rest of your life without an expectation that what God did here, he will do in you? Surely there's, there can be little that's more important. There can be little that will make me pray more, wait more, listen more. Say, so, well, God never speaks to me. Well, then start listening. Get into a place where he can speak to you. Adjust your frame of mind, because the times when God does not speak to me for a long period are the times when I'm not listening. Anybody else in the same boat? Anybody affirm that? Confirm the word? Well, all right, there's a, that's, that, that, that's Carrie then. That, and it's the same for a church, is it not? How confused and disjointed and uncoordinated we become when we don't recognize that the church is built on the, on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We're not a club, you know, that by democratic pro okay, well, let's kind of, let's have a consensus of what. 
No, no. We have to hear what God is saying to the church and affirm it and trust it and walk with it. It's absolute foolishness to do anything else. Oh, I don't really like that. Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? Inspiration. But there's a third operation of the Spirit of God at Christmas. Incarnation, wonderful. Inspiration, he always does. He will always tell his people what is on the Father's heart if his people have a heart to know. I do believe that. I do, I, there are times which are, which are confusing. There are times when I'm nonplussed and I really don't know what to do, what to think, what is right and what is wrong. There are times like that. Come on, now we can all nod like donkeys. Right? But I do believe this that I have a God and he has put his spirit into my heart that he will not leave me forever in that condition. He will show me what the path is. Take courage. That's a good message of Christmas. But the third one, in some ways for us, is the most important. Not at the first Christmas, but I suggest to you that it's the most important here. And that's that the Christmas, the Holy Spirit was not only involved in incarnation and inspiration, but also in preparation. There, there was something about the Spirit of God coming on Jesus. And that in John 3.34, it says this, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. So that on Jesus, right from, he, right from the incarnation, right through the, 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 the months of Mary's pregnancy, right from the time of birth, right the way through his childhood, right the way through to his, to his baptism in the Jordan, right the way through his ministry, right to the point of crucifixion and resurrection and ascension, the Spirit of God has been powerfully on Jesus. Consistently on Jesus. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water, and at that moment heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Matthew twelve eighteen. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will proclaim justice to the nations. That Jesus was the Christ, the anointed one. And what the Spirit of God was doing at Christmas was preparing the Son of God for what was to follow. The, the incarnation and the, 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 the filling of the Spirit in Jesus in those nine months was a necessary preparation for all that was to follow. You would say, yes, of course. He was the Son of God after all. But it's also true of John the Baptist. Now again, follow me here. Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. I think. Yes, Luke chapter 1 and verse 15. He will be a joy, 14, and delight to you, and many will, this is announcing John the Baptist coming, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine, that's a good idea, or other fermented drink, and as a, oh, yeah, all right, I won't make the, the link too strong, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will bring, he will bring back, 
bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That rings a bell. To turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That John the Baptist, from his mother's womb, was a man filled with the Spirit. I wonder what it was like. What does that mean? That there was an amazing anointing of the Spirit on John the Baptist from the time he was a baby. What was it like well, if the Spirit of God was present with this? Now, he, he, this is a sinner, right? If, if, if you can't see yourself in parallel with Jesus, surely you can see yourself parallel here. That there was an anointing on this boy right from the start, which was preparation for what was to come. In the next few verses, in Matthew 3.11 and Luke 3.16, we have John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He is the one who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Just as important. Why, why, why is the baptism in the Spirit so important? Why, why do I object to the idea that people equate it with conversion? For this reason. There is a second exceptional empowering of the Spirit of God for the Christian, called the baptism in the Spirit. Jesus talked about it here. And it's the purpose of the baptism in the Spirit is to prepare me for what he has for the future. You see, we've changed it. There's a subtle change from the John the Baptist principle. John the Baptist principle, fill with the Spirit for a purpose, for a life, for an ongoing ministry for God. We, we've got much more into kind of designer experiences, haven't we? Uh, that kind of that experience hunting and collecting and novelty. But it, it's almost part of our Christian scene in these days, in which, you know, have you got it? You know, do do you dance in your worship? Because if you do, you're really annoyed. You know, and we we're kind of next year there'll be another one. It troubles me deeply. The Spirit of God came on John the Baptist for preparation. He came on him. He was filled with God for a long haul, for a difficult task, for a thankless task. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit of God so that he could live a life that would mean that he'd lose his head. Any candidates for baptism in the Spirit this morning? I would suggest to you that this is our most needed gift this Christmas. I'm always moved, and I read a bit, and I read a bit in, oftentimes just to provoke and challenge my mind and my heart. What was it like when Charles Finney, in, the, in, in his most, he was an American revivalist of astonishing anointing, and it is documented and chronicled that at the height of his evangelistic ministry, he would walk into a place and people would start, he walked into a factory on one occasion and people at the other end of the production line started crying because of the Spirit of God, the anointing on this man, affecting people. He wasn't speaking to them. He wasn't anywhere near them. It was God on the man. I, I suspect there will be something of that on John the Baptist. Certainly on Elijah. It is our most needed gift. Christmas, if I can put it in another sense, was a time of awakening. It was a, ti a, 
a powerful season of the Spirit of God. Do you agree? After so many centuries, the first Christmas was a powerful season of awakening and of the Spirit of God. The first Christmas was a revival season. We need to pray that that might be a part of our Christmas expectation. Uh, to me, everything else is trivial compared to that. In terms of what my life needs and this nation needs, there's nothing more important than that. We were at Liz's parents um, on Monday, and uh, they, the post came, and uh, a dad opened up the, a Christmas card from America, and it had a fancy stamp on, so we made a lot of fuss about it. And it was from a friend of theirs that they'd known in Israel, where they were working. And this girl now lives in Pensacola. Now, Pensacola is the place currently where there are, is it 40 or 50,000 people being converted in this movement of the spirit, evangelistic um, movement currently in Florida. And uh, she, she was just, the, the fact that it was Pentecost, she made no mention. What she was saying was that uh, she, we have the most amazing prayer meetings. Over a thousand people present and all really going for it. Ah! Oh. You see, we need a Christmas which is a powerful movement of the Spirit. I started the year reading Thomas Charles of Barla to you, I shall finish the year. This is written in 1791. I just want to whet your appetite. It doesn't matter that it's a bit old. You could have Pensacola too if you like, but I'm going to read from Barla. You inquire about the state of the churches in Wales. I have nothing but what is favourable to communicate. We had a very comfortable association at Pocheli. Some thousands, is that right, Brian? That'll do, right. Some thousands attended more than ever before. And here at Bala we have had a great, powerful, glorious outpouring of the Spirit on the people in general, especially on the children and the young people. Scores of the wildest and most inconsiderate of young people of, of both sexes have been awakened. Their convictions have been very clear and powerful, and in some instances so deep as to bring them to the brink of despair. Their consolations have also been equally strong. If the Lord should be graciously pleased to continue the work, as it has prevailed some weeks past, the devil's kingdom will be in ruins in this neighbourhood. Ride on, ride on, thou king of glory, is the fervent cry of my soul day and night. I verily believe that the Lord means to give the kingdom of darkness a dreadful shake, for he takes off its pillars. Those that were the foremost in the service of Satan and rebellion against God are now the foremost in seeking salvation through the blood of the Lamb. It is an easy work to preach the gospel of the kingdom here at this time. It is an easy work to preach the gospel of the kingdom here at this time. Divine truths have their own infinite weight and in the importance of, on the minds of the people. Beams of light together with divine irresistible energy accompany every truth delivered. It is glorious to see how the stoutest hearts are bowed down and the hardest melted. I would not have been without seeing what I have seen lately. No, not for the world. Now, God in his kindness and mercy has given many, many seasons like that. And I just want to put, if you like, Christmas in the same context. The Spirit of God is always busy around the Lord Jesus. He's always active. 
As Charles Spurgeon said, you know, I, I looked at the Son of God and the dove of peace landed on my shoulder. I looked at the dove of peace and he flew away. Put it another way, that the Spirit of God and Jesus are inseparable friends. You can't genuinely have the one without the other. Jesus came born of a virgin and the Holy Spirit had a field day. Christmas will be incomplete if we are not of a heart and a mind to significantly receive from the Spirit of God at this season. More than incense and stars. You see, the Father is by our heads. Let's turn this to prayer as we close. The Father is still giving. What do I most want for Christmas? Well, I tell you, it's not in the parcel under the Christmas tree. The great, the awful truth about Christmas is that it passes so quickly. By Boxing Day, it's old hat. It's almost as if to say that unless we give the Spirit of God the same prominence at Christmas as he had on the first Christmas, Christmas will never last. Lord, this Christmas time, again we cry to you, would you give us a significant anointing? Will you visit us, particularly Holy Spirit, we ask you for tonight, with so many that will be present, who only know the superficial, and the traditional and the nostalgic of Christmas. Holy Spirit, Christmas will not be complete unless you come and make the Lord Jesus real in our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit. Come into my life afresh this Christmas time. Will you help me to keep a right sense of priority? to lay off some of the things with which the, the, the world fills its Christmas so that my heart might be receptive to you and to your goodness this Christmas time. We bow in your presence. We say, come Lord Jesus, make this Christmas season a season where you are preeminent. And come Holy Spirit, and fill our lives, and particularly, Lord, in a, in a work of preparation this Christmas time, so that the coming year will be profoundly affected by your coming this Christmas. We bow before you. Lord, do it in my life. Come, Holy Spirit.